Welcome to the Sober Gay Guy Podcast. My name is TJ, and I have no idea what's going on, but I do know that I'm doing my best and that I'm feeling it all along the way. Join me and my friends and listen in on our sometimes serious, but most of the time ridiculous take on life and how we're trying to figure it all out along the way. Join me and my guests as we talk about addiction and recovery, our family, our kids, uh, sometimes our other friends, and the jerks on the road that we really want to just run over with our cars. We'll laugh. Sometimes we'll cry. Most of the time, it's just going to be fun. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee, maybe a cold bubble water, and join us and join in on the fun. We're glad you're here. We're all important. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Sober Gay Guy podcast. Today, you are listening to segment one of episode six with my friend Dana Fortner. Dana is a recreational therapist. She is a yoga teacher. She's also a wife and a mom of two. Dana and I, in segment one, really dive deep into her life experience, how she has navigated through addiction and uh, a lot of trauma. And um, we cry a little. We laugh an awful lot in segment one. And in segment two, which is released on Wednesday, we change it up a little bit. So you're going to have to just wait for the finale um, of our talk in this episode. And really, I I hope you enjoy this. So pull up a chair, uh, pour yourself a cup of coffee, maybe a bubble water, as I say, and really enjoy this talk with my really good friend, Dana. Thanks for tuning in and um, see you on the other side. Have a great Monday. Yeah, because we had a contractor up there. Oh yeah. To take a look at it. Was it my contractor? Has he called you back? Not yet. We'll get there. Uh, no, I'm gonna imagine. There you go. Oh, do you want me to put it on you? I think I can do it. Where do you want it? In the middle, because if it hits your hair or your neck, it can just be a little perfect. There we go. Oh, not my first rodeo. Button for me too, please. I know. Hi, thanks for being my guest. I need you to shut off the fan. <laughs> oh, I have a boo. Oh, an orphan. Other one. Not that anybody's looking. Hang on. You know what? Napkin. I'm going to push the button since I'm so demanding. God, you are. I need you. Better? Yeah. It wasn't even that big of one. Listen, I'm paranoid about that shit. Because I'm a weirdo. I don't judge people for having organs in their nose. <clears throat> Make yourself comfortable. Right, you started well. recording a minute and 17 seconds ago. Oh, that's okay. You'll that's edit out the weird stuff. I know you will. Oh, here. Let me move that. No, that's fine. I want you to make yourself comfy. I have so many beverages. You know, you're kind of like... I, I want to be prepared. Two. I only have two. I get it. I get yeah, it. At some point, I'm going to have to get up and go pee. You know, that sounds like a personal or not. problem. 
or I'll just stay. That sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome to episode six of The Sober Gay Guy. And what you can't see on the other side of your listening device or your earbuds um, is that today we are, we're recording. So we have Visually. A, yeah, so <clears throat> I'm staring at a phone and Dana and I are, Dana's picking her nose right now and rubbing it on my sleeve. But um, today um, we are being joined by my friend Dana. And Dana came into my life through the studio. At the time was Focus Ohm Yoga. I have my sales voice on right now. I know. My high-pitched sales voice That's on. That's okay. So I'm gonna go, do re mi faso latino I'm gonna take out that fake voice. And I'm Love gonna go it. <clears throat> into my normal, unnervous, natural TJ voice. What do you have to be nervous about? Not me. one thing. I know, that's my gig. Yeah, it's me. Oh God, you know what I hear? I hear the diffuser going on and off. It's fine. I know, but I was wondering what oh, fan Oh, you thought it was the I, fan. Or I gotcha. thought it was this, com this computer for my notes. Oh. And I'm like, it's not hot. Why is it going on and off? It's that diffuser. It might drive me a little bit. But anywho, mm, back to Dana. Dana came to me through the studio, yoga studio. It is a short drive. It is a, it's a very short drive, honey. Um, which at the time was named Focus Home Yoga and is now Yoga on the Block. She came, you just wanted to try it out or were you being a voyeur? I wanted to, I actually came with the express purpose of coming to a class and feeling out the opportunity to become a volunteer. Which as we weren't way, even offering at that time. Right, so as a way for me to it. like, you know, get my foot in the door and start learning about the business side of yoga as I was going through my teacher training. Yeah, and you changed your mind two months and you were like, fuck this, I'm not opening, I'm not opening a yoga studio. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> I mean, God only knows, things could completely radically change in a year. Yeah, or, in the fucking southern suburbs where it's gangbusters. Yeah, sorry. Or, you know, I may just choose to, con to st build an online presence. I don't know yet, but I'm open to seeing where the universe takes me. Awesome. I don't think I want the overhead of an actual physical brick and mortar. Just do it location. the right way. And yeah. but that's how you came to us is you came to the studio because you expressly wanted to volunteer for us. Uh yeah. And she very quickly did start volunteering for us and it became a love relationship right away. Yes, yeah, so and now you can't get rid of me. I don't want to get rid of you. <laughs> I don't want to get rid of you. So Dana and I learned not very early on but early ish on i would say yes I'd say within the first like probably three or four weeks that we are both sober yeah we're and both sober i was not newly <clears throat> sober i was just about a year into my sobriety and at that right. point you were uh like four years yeah. and i just hit five years congratulations sobriety Thank right you. and we have already decided that today is going to be a light airy fun kind of a Mostly. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on yeah. in the world in general and for people. Um, we can touch on the heavy stuff. There's always, you know... Right, because we're here to help. Right, but, you we're know... We're here to find commonality. I, I generally approach things with probably more humor than is always appropriate. I but, could not agree more. 
than a, more than appropriate. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I rush into things with humor. <laughs> but it, there are plenty of heavyweights out there doing the heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, and that can be a turnoff. Wait, did I say this people. was episode five? You had, so you said it was episode six. Oh, I did. Whew. Did you yeah. Right, because the first episode, first five episodes, especially my pop-in blog post reading episodes, mm -hmm. are just, I mean, pull out the noose and razors. Yeah, you They turn can it. really push you over you the edge and triggering. And they're supposed to be that way. That's well, yeah, I kind of want them that way. There has to be balance, and you wouldn't be being authentic if you didn't do both this came about and my sobriety is what my sobriety is and i i am the sober person that i am because of those blog posts yeah and like i've said in in those blog posts and i will continue to say is um my clarity came because at when my clarity came through that's when i started writing yeah so and that writing all of those writing of those blog posts healed me and mm -hmm. continue to heal me and then to rehash them you know you i i read them in this closet right here in this this coat closet i keep telling you to not go back in the closet but <laughs> and nobody you, nobody listens to have me have you listened to episode five yet no i no. haven't so i Sorry, the I bonus track is you and me going <laughs> over recording with friends and i recorded that bonus track in this closet but anyway i don't want to go off on that so you and I share our sobri share sobriety, and mm -hmm. we learned early on in our friendship that you were sober, and that was kind of <clears> like <throat> there aren't coincidences. No, in life. not at all. We're supposed to. We were supposed to meet. <laughs> we were absolutely to, supposed to meet. You know, continue to support each other because the sobriety journey can be very lonely. Oh, it can be very isolating. Yeah, um, especially if the people that you have previously surrounded yourself with either are not sober themselves or do not acknowledge your desire and need to become sober. Right. So here, how about we do this? The sure. first one third of this talk will be fairly serious because you and I can't really hold serious talks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm the most serious person I know. Well, I'm we've gotten seriously. some deep. We've gotten. Well, yeah. We cry. But how about this? Yes. So the first However, third. Yeah. yeah uh, well, it'll be natural. I know your journey. Yeah. Um, Sorry and, about that. Oh. Something. Driving the crazy train. I'm going to throw you under the bus right now. Fucking do it. Um, and. And it's a toxic, uh, this is one of, this is one of Dana's toxic traits. Yep. She's a serial apologizer. <laughs> I am. I am. And I, it, it can't, you know, some things are so ingrained in you. And it, um, it's from your childhood or it's something. It's from my childhood and the fact that I did not have. It gives me a headache. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did that on purpose. Um, <clears throat> suck it up, soldier. You know, I, I did not have a uh, a very strong foundation. I did not have confidence. So anytime growing up, um, and even into early adulthood, I was an apologizer because I worried about offending or 
burdening or whatever with the people I was around. I couldn't understand why in God's name anybody would want to be around me. Mm. Um, not because I was a mess, but because I had zero support, self-worth. Oh, zero self-esteem. And I understand we're not going to go down that lane today. We have a we have a boundary. Yeah. So we're not going down that boundary today. And I understand where that comes from. Listeners don't need to know. But I so I know why you're a serial apologizer. Mm -hmm. But and that may be one of the reasons why you leaned into the drinking life. Oh, absolutely. One of them. But there's also other aspects. There's trauma. There's all kinds of stuff. But, you know, also drinking, it made it easier for me to feel like, well, if I was drunk fun, Dana, then of course people would want to be around me. Oh, sure. And that's fairly common. And I'm helping right. somebody right now. Um, <clears throat> and this person and I, one of the things we have in common, and you and I have this in common too, it's really easy to cover up your trauma with good time Charlie. Absolutely. Yeah. And this started for me in college yeah. because I had just recently Don't hit been my through. Sister I Project Cozy AF, Sister Project Fresh AF candle. I won't. Sorry, but go you ahead. I'm going to steal it. No, you can't. Want to bet? Buy one. Support small business. Okay. Um, Their fall AF candle is released now, so you can buy one ooh. with hints of apple. Ooh. Oh, I can't wait. Go on. College. Yeah. Oh, well. I was just coming out of like some pretty heavy stuff and went away to school. And that was my opportunity to reinvent myself because previously I had not only been a serial apologizer, but I was a very quiet Catholic school person who. Did you go to Catholic school? Oh, God, yeah. I thought so. Catholic high school, which honestly was the best thing for me. I think it's hysterical that Catholic schools. Their uniforms are mini skirts. Oh, no, ours were down to the knee. Oh, we they? all just rolled them up at the waistline <laughs> if our mom wouldn't let us shorten them. Thanks, mom. Um, yeah, so it would like be weird bulgy, yeah. but you know, the uniform shirt bloused out enough. Um, but yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a talker. I didn't. I, 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 again, couldn't understand why anybody would want to talk to me. So then after I went through something, which we'll get to, I'm sure, um, it was an opportunity at college for me to reinvent myself um, because nothing had hurt me, nothing had hurt me as much as that scenario. Mm -hmm. So if people didn't like me, screw them. And drinking. you were reinventing yourself. It right. And drinking allowed me to kind of, take away that self-doubt oh it was a veil yeah so beer then, goggles as it were yes so then i was drinking in college like if i wasn't in class i was probably drunk and then i just carried that right through my first super intense uh job in my career which was working at a psych facility hmm. and then you know i didn't drink when i was pregnant with my kids but right because you went to college for Recreational therapy. Got it. Um, out of a desire to help people. Yeah. Um, and then we moved and I worked at another psych facility and just kept drinking and kept drinking. And um, I wasn't a very good mom or partner. Um, I wasn't a very good professional either because I was, I was never drunk at work. No. But I was always hungover. Right. Functioning alcoholic. Yes. Oh, gosh. I mean, yes. me too. So was my dad. 
Yeah. So are so many. Yeah. I wonder what the percentage is. I should look that up. You know, yeah, you should. I have my um, handy dandy computer here, but I'm not go. looking it up right now. Well, and, and, and some substance abuse um, is, is kind of a historical generational trauma that keeps getting passed down, at least on one side of my family. So, and I think that's the story with a lot of people is we inherit other, our, our predecessor's trauma into our DNA. This is, this is a part of uh, a generational story that people don't get, that I didn't actually know about until I went into recovery. <clears throat> yeah. There's two parts to this that I want to touch on real quick. And yeah. this is a part that I want people to listen to that are considering or are in early parts of recovery. Generational alcoholism, generational traumatic recovery, mm-hmm. and the trauma that comes along with the traumatic what is inside of your DNA. Mm-hmm. So my, the lineage inside of my, the alcoholism in my family that I have learned about mm-hmm. goes so far back. Yeah. And I had never ever heard about the, the, how DNA, and you know about this because, and you've learned, you know more about this than I do. Do you, how much more about it do you know? Actually, uh, not as much as you would think. It's more just because sometimes I want the information and sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to step away because it's too much. It's so interesting though. It is. Like the DNA <clears throat> is, say more. My, okay, so my cousin actually turned me on to this whole generational trauma being in your DNA. And when you look it's at- fascinating. It is. And when you look at the history of so many people who have struggled with substance abuse, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago, it was normal mm-hmm. for people gonna... to maybe not get drunk, but they probably drank a whole lot more. And my great-grandmother, my Boucha, those of you who know about my Boucha know that she was a firecracker. Her husband uh, was an alcoholic. And this is back in you know the early 1900s, 1910s, 1920s. She had come over from Poland, didn't really speak any English, had a bunch of kids, and had to kick her husband out because he was a violent alcoholic, Mm -hmm. from what I understand. And back then, being a single mom, you didn't get help. Catholic Charities was like, your husband's not here, forget you. Yeah, right. Right. The women didn't have power and nobody cared about them. So she worked several jobs at once to provide for her kids. And she's, I mean, I revere her because of the immense amount of strength that it took for her to go through that and not have the support of the church because my family is hugely Catholic. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it just, it's... It's amazing how that affects people. Like, and not everybody will fall into alcohol use. Some people will fall into drug use. Um, she fell which, into alcohol use. No, she didn't. She her did. husband, she was sober her as hell. Husband her husband was. Her husband, but that transferred on to the kids. And I don't, none of them had any substance abuse issues. But kids, grandkids, there's been, there's been some of that you know, that we've seen crop up uh, again and again. And what I'm side of the family is this on? My mom's. Your mom's side. My mom's. So my mom's grandmother was my busha, which mm-hmm. is Polish for grandma. Right. Um, and like my mom never had a substance abuse issue, 
my grandparents didn't. Like, I think my grandma saw what happened and was like, yeah, no. Um, and my mom grew up with, you know, Busha living with them. Exactly. Um, but, you know, yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen it in cousins. And, and this is what I talked about, yes, uh, not yesterday, the day before, in my episode five um, blog reading. Um, I talked about in that blog post reading, when was it that the trigger was cocked back for me? Mm, was it okay. cocked back? Was it cocked back for me when the first time I, my, I had somebody was going in reverse, by the way, on the street in front of me, if you hear the high pitched beeping in the background, there's a big truck going in reverse. Um, the first time I remember seeing my father and mother fighting mm -hmm. when my father was in a drunken rage. Okay. And I remember, I still remember the look on my dad's face, the smell in the room, mm -hmm. and the taste of the smell and the cigarette smoke in the room. Yeah. And my, dra my dad's drunken rage and the bulging of his eyes, mm -hmm. my mom being stone cold sober. Mm-hmm. And I remember think, knowing my dad was drunk. Mm -hmm. And I, when I became sober, I started having flashbacks of all of those memories. Gotcha. Because okay. it started to, I started to wonder when I became sober, when it is that my brain started to desire alcohol. Mm -hmm. When the addiction part of my brain started to need it. When yeah. the addiction for me, when my alcoholism triggered okay gotcha and I wondered yeah. if it was <clears throat> then if that was the triggering or if that's how it works I don't know how that works and you know, so I, I thought to myself and I do so I thought so in the blog reading I thought <coughs> sorry I, that's you don't I'm apologizing to the audience because I just coughed into the <laughs> microphone like a heathen I'm not apologizing to you anymore anymore so in the blog post I stated was that when the cocking of the trigger was for me was that when my brain realized, oh, this is what you're destined for. Make a mental note of this. Gotcha. Okay. And then at the very end of my blog post reading, in the times that I had argued drunkenly with Dwayne, when Jonah saw it, uh -huh. had I set his fate in motion? Gotcha. Was that his cocking of his trigger? Mm. Is he have, does he have a memory of that? And is, he, is it now inevitable for him? Because substance abuse runs in his his um, biological family. Yeah. So yeah. did I? Am I at fault now for cocking of his trigger? You uh, know, we, I don't know. Right, and I worry about that with my kids right. as well because it was you know college was my chance to reinvent myself, yeah. and it also was my escape from pain. And that's where it started too. And that's where that was like, oh, I like this feeling. I don't hurt. And right you now. knew the difference, right? I mean, were you warned? Because I was warned. I mean, I no. went to Alateen. For no. years, I went to Alateen to prevent myself from no, becoming a drunk. No, because they're, they're, you know, it was the story about my great-grandfather. Mm. But, and grandparents and aunts and uncles, you know, they had beers at family stuff. My dad would have, like, a glass of wine or brandy or whatever. But I, I only saw my dad drunk once at my wedding. Um, oh. But, yeah, substance abuse, it was like the story of other people. Um, I wasn't around it. So, no, I wasn't warned. In that way, it was, this is 
how I turn off the pain. Mm -hmm. This is how I stop feeling. And I rapidly got addicted to that feeling. It became and, out of control. Right. And the alcohol was a way to stop feeling. So it just felt better for you to shut off all yeah. of that that was in your head. Yeah. It was the only way I could like live with myself. Do you want to sure. go down that road? Sure. Sure. I mean, that's I'm here for whatever. Um, so right before college, I had been with a guy for a while and got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And my parents had, the, uh, to be honest, had kicked me out um, by that point because I went on a road trip with the His boyfriend, person. which I was not allowed to do even though I was 20 years old. A little bit of control issue there. Um, Catholic family. Uh, yeah. So... I moved in with a friend, and then I moved in with the boyfriend's dad, um, which was, he had a substance abuse problem, like a big one. <clears throat> and then when I was probably about five or six months pregnant, uh, I decided that my child deserved two fully functioning parents. I couldn't take care of myself, much less a kid. You know, I had no concept of how to manage money. Um, I mean, I could feed myself, but like responsibility was like a whole nother, like what the fuck is that? Mm -hmm. um, and so we went through an adoption center, um, Sunny Ridge Family Center in Wheaton, Illinois. They're exceptional people and they do a wonderful job of connecting uh, birth parents and adoptive families. Was it an open adoption? It was an open adoption. Um, so I actually, I had the kiddo July 24th. And um, because of the way adoption laws work in Illinois, I had to wait a minimum of 72 hours before I could sign away my rights. I understand that. Yeah. So we went to the, the adoption facility actually had like an apartment. Was the birth father on uh, in a... Did he, was he in agreement with all of this? Uh, mostly. Are you allowed to talk? Of course you are. At this I'm, not gonna t I'm not going to say his name. Got it. Um, oh, of course not. No, I wouldn't expect you to. But he, uh, I think, you know, uh, he struggled with it. Inevitably, he signed off. He signed off because I made him. Got it. Um, at least that's how I remember it. Like, I was the one to sign the papers first. I was the one to hand this sweet baby that I was in love with already over to the adoptive parents. Right. Um, he may remember it completely differently. And you know what? That's okay. I can't speak to his experience. I can only speak to mine. Right. And then um, it was, that was July 28th. And then uh, my mom picked me up and I went back to my parents' house and I wanted to kill myself. Right. You were languishing. I had just you know the love of your life just yeah we broke up that same day if you need to take a break let me know okay um and i felt like not only did i feel like damaged goods i felt like a complete failure as a human being as a mom um and you know it it was hard it was really hard um and I didn't kill myself. I did wake up every night for about a month 
in the middle of the night hearing a baby's cry. Wanna take a breath? <sighs> um, and then I went and saw this baby. Often. Um, when they were a month old. I needed to give the adoptive parents space and time, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And it was such a good situation. And I, it, it hurt, it still hurt, but I felt a little bit better. And then six months later, I needed to get away. Mm -hmm. It was too close. How old I were was you too at this close. Point? I was 21 at this point. Um, so I went to SIU. I ran away. And, you know, someone invented yourself. Someone termed it that I was running away, and they were right. But I needed to, because otherwise, I was going to kill myself. Yeah. And went through therapy, but I also started drinking mm -hmm. a whole lot. Um, were you telling this story? Were you telling your story? Were, did people know at this point what you had done um, when you went to SIU? Were you sharing it? I actually, uh, not right away, but as I grew closer to people, um, yeah. And honestly, I was using it as like a litmus test. Can mm. these people handle me or not? Can this person accept me and all of my warts? Yeah. If they can, cool. If they can't, then pound sand. Yeah. And... Um, when I met my husband, he was actually dating somebody else and I was dating somebody else. And then when we were both single, you know, we were, we were oh, honestly hooking up. Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> but I told him about the situation and that I was in contact and he was totally cool with it. And then a while later, my husband, Paul, is the only person I've dated that has ever met my biological child. Got it. We have, I've stayed in contact. Um, every time I would come back up from school, I would make sure to spend some time with this kid. It was an open adoption, and I made a commitment when I signed away my rights that I would stay in this child's life as long as they wanted me to. Mm -hmm. And now, they're 22 and an adult and was assigned female at birth, identifies as male, is an amazing human being, and I'm so lucky. I am so very lucky to be allowed to be a part of Eden's life. I'm so fucking lucky. And they're an amazing human being. And you know, they have their stuff, um, and I'm not gonna go into that because that's for them to speak on if they're ever on here. Oh, I have a feeling they will be. If it happens, cool. Yeah. I know I know he's open to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that, that's, that was the pain. That was the trauma. That was the thing that I had done and had a lot of guilt over and received a lot of blame for. Mm -hmm. um, that's where... It started. That's where it started. Um, not only because, you know, I felt like a failure, but also I had, I was told that I had deprived certain people of having a, a, a specific type of relationship with this child. Oh, I understand. So people were really pushing a lot of shit on you. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that seems awfully fair. You know, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it sucked. 
It, it did, it sucked at the time. And now that I have some, a little bit more time and perspective, it says more about those people than it does about me. Um, you know, my parents didn't meet Eden uh, until I got married because I said, this kid's gonna be in my wedding. Yeah. And they you started were, making the choices. I, yeah, yeah. Well, because until I went to college, I felt very disempowered. I didn't know how to make choices. I hadn't been allowed to make choices for myself. Not real choices. Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. Yeah, like not like, I mean, not just like what to wear, but like real choices about my life and where I wanted it to go. And then once I had Eden and placed Eden, I mean, who could hurt me worse than I had already what hurt you myself? Had been through, precisely. And that's when the evolution of the Dana that you see now started happening. What's Alcohol that? helped me feel more confident in expressing myself and being who I was always meant to be. Um, and sobriety has helped me further. Hmm. Yeah. We're going to take a break. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to segment one of episode six with my friend Dana. We are going to uh, pick up where we left off on Wednesday. So uh, segment two of this episode with Dana will be released on midnight um, on Wednesday. And um, we talk about the rest of her story. And, and we talk about uh, some more stuff. It gets really lighthearted. Uh, and um, we get into some cultural stuff and we talk about more than just her story. We talk about uh, some stuff in the news and uh, a little bit of uh, some other stuff. So not, not, just, not just her life story. So I'm, I'm looking forward to you hearing um, just some lighthearted conversation and laughing it up. Um, we understand uh, that you are here to find commonality, but we also wanted to... Um, really just kind of lighten it up a little bit. So thanks for listening to episode one with Dana. And uh, we look forward to having you listen on Wednesday for episode two. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. I wanted to take a minute to talk about Anchor. This podcast is sponsored by no one, but made possible by Anchor, a Spotify company. Anchor is a free podcast building platform that teaches you to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast for free. Anchor has built-in recording, uploading, and editing tools so that you can easily publish your episodes and then distribute your new podcast to the most popular podcast listening apps with the push of a button. Anchor believes everyone's stories can and should be heard, so they're giving creators around the world, from first-time podcasters like me to pros, a wonderful, powerful platform to share their voices. So, if you're considering starting a podcast, check out Anchor. Keeping up with the Sober Gay Guy podcast has never been easier. 
Not only can you find the Super Gay Guy podcast on Spotify, but I can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. In your search bar, simply search for Sober Gay Guy and you'll see my bright orange and rainbow logo. If you're following along on Spotify, be sure to tap follow and the bell so that you can get notifications of new episodes. And if you're following along on Apple Podcasts, you'll want to tap the plus icon in the top right corner and be sure to tap the three small dots to the right to engage the notification button. That way, you'll always know when my bright, shiny voice is coming across the airwaves you know you don't want to miss an episode. As always, I'm so grateful for all of your support, and I cannot wait to have a new episode uploaded. Thank you for being here with me, and we look forward to talking to you in the next Silver Gay Guy podcast. Take care. <laughs>